Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. And we are back with ATDC Radio Broadcasting live down here at uh, ATDC. I just, this is so much fun. It beats the heck out of working down here, doesn't it? Amen. (laughs) This is going to be a fantastic segment. Uh, uh, Both return guests, uh, no strangers to the Business Radio X microphone. We're going to get a chance to catch up with and visit uh, with with Corbett Gillum and with Sid Mukherjee. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Sid, it's been a while since since we talked. What are you up to? You've got you've got two or three tentacles into this ATDC ecosystem. Yeah, tell us about what you're doing here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. My past uh, experience has been that of an entrepreneur in the retail space. Um, I used to work with retailers and e-commerce uh, providers. Um, had a pretty significant size company, three thousand people in eight countries. Sold the company, exited, and then um, I have been working with the mission of trying to create an uh, innovation ecosystem for retail. And I want to make Atlanta the hub for that. Uh, So there are two aspects to this one being uh, what I'm doing through the Mukherjee Foundation. And the Mukherjee Foundation has made a gift to the Georgia Tech Foundation, which in turn has resulted in um, a retail tech uh, um, focus vertical here at ATDC. And then uh, the other is Silicon Road. And Silicon Road is basically a fund, an accelerator, um, a, a place to sponsor research at Georgia Tech and uh, basically create, again, uh, a place where retailers, researchers, startups can all meet to talk and uh, discuss how innovation in retail is happening or should happen. So now what's your kind of uh, view of retail in today's world? It seems um, there's a lot of attention to retail and they're you're reading on one hand, a lot of retailers are going out of business, and then you're seeing the growth. And today or yesterday was Amazon Prime Day, so e e commerce seems to be going gangbusters. How is that all kind of fitting in your world? That ecosystem? Yes, retail is being disrupted. Um, that's probably an understatement. And um, the, the first thing, let me just let's step back. Okay, now it's not that people are buying any lesser. Right. People are still buying. That's still People happening. are buying more than ever before. Right. right. The population of the world is increasing and everybody wants something. And people are more and more people are coming out of poverty, so they have money to buy things. Absolutely. Exactly. We, in general, are getting more affluent uh, and we definitely have a lot more money to spend. And mm-hmm. so we are buying things. Now, what is changing is how we are buying things. Right. I mean, this old way of buying things in a mall and driving up, parking in the parking lot, going out there. And, you know, if you don't get what you want, we'll be back tomorrow. Well, that whole way of thinking has changed, right? I mean, it has become where, well, I'm going to go to the mall maybe to try out uh, a suit, see if I like the way the texture feels, see if it fits me. But guess what? If I don't find my exact fit, I don't find the exact color that I like, I'm going to just go online and buy it from, you know, one of several. Obviously, Amazon is being one of them. Right. So um, just the nature of how people are buying is changing. So now because of you have these kind of an Amazonian uh, focus of the world where you have this big entity and people think they're buying from Amazon, but in actuality, a lot of times they're not buying from Amazon. Amazon's just the conduit to get the stuff they want, but it is a a firm that's actually got the stuff and sending it to them, right? But they just call it Amazon. 
That's right. I mean, but, you know, again, Amazon is probably no different than Macy's, right? Macy's also gets uh, the merchandise from other manufacturers and then sells it to the ultimate customers. Mm -hmm. And Amazon is doing the same thing. Now, Amazon uh, will have what you're looking for every single time. If you are a Macy's or a Sears, uh, that's a lot more difficult because you have limited, um, you know, square footage in which you can store the merchandise that somebody might be looking for. So here is where technology comes in and where we can potentially use, um, you know, things like artificial intelligence, machine learning to kind of predict that you walking into a store, what is it that you will be looking for most likely? Uh, and some of the ones, some of these um uh, some of the retail chains have mastered that and some others are still catching up. Now, how do you kind of view the, um, when there, when the mall experience or the shopping experience and the browsing goes away, where does that kind of sense of discovery where you stumble upon these things uh, occur? Cause a lot of times, like you said, I'm looking for something you're able to, through technology, have the thing that I'm looking for available for me when I want it. But where does that sense of just kind of stumbling upon or discovering come into play? Because there's retailers like at Costco or some of these others where they build in this kind of treasure hunt, this kind of experience where I find things and I discover it and that I win, you know, that comes into play. That and just the social experience, right? I mean, right. you know, and uh, especially going into a mall on a Saturday afternoon. It's a, it's a nice experience, right? It's probably 100 degrees outside. You're going into a mall and, you know, maybe meeting some friends over there, especially, if, you know, teenagers. I mean, this is a great place to hang out. Now, uh, having said all that, um, yeah, I mean, the browsing and the social experience will never go away. Uh, I think this whole concept that uh, the physical retail will completely disappear is prob probably a myth, in my opinion, anyway. Um, and just because there are also certain categories of things that we will probably not buy online very often. Um, you probably will not buy a $1,000 suit online, right? You'll probably want to go and try it out. Nice shoes. Um, yeah, but some of the lower value merchandise. Well, what about fruit? I mean, are you going to buy there you a go. peach? Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I think that there are certain categories of things which we will never buy online. Um, but uh, the experience has to be made better. Mm -hmm. And there are many, many retailers that are working towards that. Um, is that where you see the opportunity for the retailer is that they got to really think of themselves kind of like Disney-esque in the sense that you better give me a compelling reason to go get in my car to drive and to come there. There has to be something I'm getting outside of just the stuff I want to buy. Correct. First of all, you got to give me the stuff I'm going out there to right. buy. That's the first that's thing. Table so that's table stakes. Right? That, is, that is called merchandising, right? So that needs to be extremely accurate. Uh, has not been in the past. And the second is, once you are there, you got to give me a more complete experience. And uh, there are so many different concepts. Georgia Tech is doing some, doing some wonderful research where, you know, they are saying, hey, you know what, why don't we make malls for people that are um, are in the physical exercise frame of mind, right? So you go there and you buy sports-related items. Maybe there is a running track right there. Maybe there is a gym in that same location. So you're no longer going there just to buy a pair of sneakers. You're going there for the entire experience. And you probably are going to go there for during a lunch break, um, you know, if you happen to be one of the health freaks. Right. Right. So, so there are those kinds of concepts that are coming out. Uh, there are many, many other concepts that are uh, that are being uh, tried out. For example, uh, maybe a holographic uh, runway, uh, a ramp, if you will, right? And where the model is, you. <laughs> <laughs> 
so that I'm kind of immersed into that world. Exactly, right? And these are all things that you need a lot of space for. So, yeah, so there is a lot of those things which actually have um, huge, huge uh, potential in, in retail, in commerce in general. Uh, and, you know, while we are talking about the front-end experience, there is a lot that also needs to happen on the back-end. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, think about the warehouses. Um, so the retailers have these big warehouses, which are, you know, several football fields in size. And, um, you know, in the in earlier days, you just basically would put a bunch of shirts in boxes and send them to different stores where they would sell. But now, well, guess what? A lot of the work that happens in these warehouses is one shirt and one tie maybe, right? And if you're going to make this poor guy walk across the length of that warehouse, it's expensive and inefficient. So, you know, they have to think about, A, how are things, how are people buying things? What are they buying together? That's one thing. And the second is, where does automation play into this? Mm -hmm. So there is, for example, uh, a startup called Kiva that was bought by Amazon, um, which, um, you know, is robots in the warehouse, right? So there are no human beings really running around through, for the most part, in warehouses. But the merchandise is being picked out by the robot based on GPS, et cetera, and brought to the person who eventually picks and packs. Now, what about, um, so there's these, you need to have this kind of mass customization, right? There, where does 3D printing and things like that come into play where they're building my thing I want just on demand when I want it instead of guessing that in 18 months I'm going to like this thing and, I, and I'm going to like it. Not only am I going to like it, I'm going to like it in purple with stripes. Absolutely. And uh, 3D printing as well as robotic manufacturing are two big things which are, again, changing the world of manufacturing even. Um, I'm an investor in a company in town called Software Automation, uh, Georgia Tech Technology. And the wear is W-E-A-R. Mm-hmm. And they have robots that actually completely have automated the um, manufacturing process for apparel. Okay. And they call those robots SoBots. Because they're sewing. <laughs> they're sewing. Right? They're cool. sewing. And it's one of the hottest things out there. Wow. Right? And um, they basically, now the long-term view of this is that hopefully they'll be able to put this in a store where you go in there and say what you want, right? And it's no longer about large and extra large and medium. It's about a size which is your size right. that this will be manufactured to. And then so how, how far away are we from that kind of a, from that dream coming true? It's here. It's here, but it's not yet as efficient or as um, um, as boxed in a manner that it can be put into a store. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these guys are doing very, very well and have many customers. So now uh, when you're talking about retail, we're talking a lot about apparel. Is retail, uh, retail touches other areas as well? Are you seeing the kind of the gap change, kind of, kind of shrink in other areas? Uh, can you? Uh, like, um like Home Depot or, you know, those kind of where there's stuff, not just clothes. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. It is It is everywhere. Um, one of the big challenges I'm sure that you have faced, if I'm just the Home Depot example, is uh, you go in there and, you know, you're looking, your, your grandma is, you know, in her home and her refrigerator uh, is showing a change filter light. Right. right. So, well, I mean, how is she going to figure out what filter to get? Right. A, and then where is it actually located? So, again, once again, computer vision comes in, right? So, you can take a picture of the fridge, and hopefully, somebody at Home Depot will be able to tell you, a computer at Home Depot will be, tell, will be able to tell you exactly which filter is required to change, and then gives you step by step instructions as to how to change it. So, those kinds of things, I mean, it all exists, but it's all very kind of 
thrown in different places and bringing it all together uh, is a huge opportunity for uh, people like that. But is it also a play for the Internet of Things where the refrigerator tells you, hey, this filter, ABC123, needs to be filled, and then it's contacting and it's on place. aisle four at your local home. Or it depot. just is the, do <laughs> you exactly. want it delivered and then it yeah. comes to your house. That's right. Hey, Alexa, get me that right. get me that uh, filter. Exactly. Yes. So That's you're coming. seeing more and more of the convergence like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, this is one of the more interesting things which is happening today. Uh, we are a very brand sensitive uh, demographic uh, in the United States, right? Brands mean a lot to us. Uh, but more and more, um, just for convenience, especially for the lower value items, uh, it's much easier to say, Alexa, I need coffee. Right. Right. And then Alexa figures out the coffee that, you know, you like and uh, what you are likely to most likely not send back. And they will they will ship it to you. But, uh, but even beyond that, like just basic um, essentials, like I need a, a USB-C cord. No, Am a, I brand loyal to a certain brand for not. that? Or I just need a USB-C cord? That's right. But you probably are brand loyal in terms of toothpaste. Right. Right. But the thing is that um, that's why, you know, the um, CPG companies spend tons and tons on marketing, of course. Now, you know, it looks like we are getting to a world where that will not count as much. Uh, are you seeing that? Is that a trend where you're seeing absolutely. brand is less important as it was maybe 20 years ago? Um, not yet, but that's exactly where Amazon is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Amazon's, um, the next thing, next big thing for Amazon is basically convert everything to voice recognition, right? So voice is an extremely important part of the strategy of all these big internet first players in retail and otherwise. And then so, but is, is the brand I'm trusting Amazon then? That's right. You're trusting Amazon to bring you um, something which you would like. Mm-hmm. Where you're saying that, like they're in Trader Joe's, they have the Trader Joe's brand and a lot of things, and I'm trusting that Trader Joe's brand or Costco Kirkland Coca, brand absolutely. is is good enough for me that I'm that they're vetting these people enough that if they're going to put their name on it, it's going to be good enough for me. Exactly, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. So then that causes a disruption for those brands, then the CPG right? companies, absolutely yes. And are you seeing that happen? Uh, yes, it's happening all the time. It happens right now in a store. Right, but uh, it's happening even online. Uh, the online problem, actually, people—if uh, you think that uh, the online guys are having a f- fabulous ride—that's not true as well. So they are trying to figure out some answers also. So the big thing is that you know, if you, when you walk into a store and you go there to say buy a pair of shoes, um, as you pass through the pant aisle, you might stop and take a look and maybe buy you know a pair of jeans. You might buy a shirt. It's much less likely to happen online. So this whole concept of kind of cross-selling, et cetera, is something that uh, online e-commerce players are trying to figure out how to overcome. Now, when you say talk about the word retail, are you including kind of restaurants and things like that, or your, your retail is different? Uh, no, we, are, we have a very broad definition of retail. Uh, you know, there are common problems being faced uh, by all these different players. So at a very high level, anybody who is kind of selling stuff that they're not manufacturing themselves, we call retail. Mm-hmm. So they have to store it somewhere. Maybe they might go through a small uh, process of uh, you know, reconstructing something before it is being sold. But in general, that's the definition that we use. So then retail would touch like the movie industry where Netflix, you know, you would go into a movie theater to have an experience of watching a movie. And now people are in, e- you know, using e-commerce or Netflix to watch it in their house and not 
dealing with going there. And so the movie theater has to reinvent themselves to create that compelling reason to come inside. There is that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that once you get into entertainment, there's probably a greater degree of specialization, uh, which may not apply to every aspect of retail. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, in general, where, uh, where you are looking at uh, merchandise, physical merchandise, especially uh, that you are having to keep a store in some way, right. Move it between locations. And then eventually that last mile delivery is usually what we consider to be retail. So now, now that you have this retail uh, tech uh, uh, initiative here at ATDC, what do, what do you need more of now? Do you need are the universities kind of embracing this and and putting talent or creating curriculum around this? Yes, there is that. Uh, <coughs> uh, excuse me. The big challenge is this. The big challenge is that there is a big um, gap between academia and industry, right? So you have on one hand you have. Um, you know, a lot of great research that is going on and that that basically that gets put on the shelf for several years. Ultimately, it's rediscovered and then put into industry. Okay, now, one of the things that uh, we are working on at Silicon Road is working with some of the smartest guys in Georgia Tech and trying to find the kinds of technologies that they're working on today and bring it, you know, quicker to the industry itself. So that's the biggest thing that we are trying to uh, achieve out of being here at Georgia Tech in this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So now you're finding that they are coming up with ideas that are kind of commercializable? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, for example, I mean, we, we are working with uh, Dr. Benoit Montreux. Uh, he's a very smart uh, Canadian guy uh, living here. I mean, of course, now he's American. And uh, he's working on what he has, what he calls the physical internet. Uh, it's basically supply chain 2.0 and uh, where he has using artificial intelligence and machine learning kind of determining what can be put in the store, right? So because you have limited square footage, right, to right. Store, store stuff. So you're, uh, so he calls that display optimization. So a right mix of SKUs that you can put in a store, taking into account the people who are likely to walk in. And the second is uh, what he calls warehouse optimization. So what is it that you can put in other stores in the same city? Okay, so that even if I can't give you the exact shirt that you are looking for, I can say I have it in that other store and you will it'll reach your home before you reach home. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then finally, of course, I mean, there are some things which are esoteric. Nobody might have it at that time. They might say, well, it'll take you three days to get it. So that kind of optimization is pretty amazing stuff. So that's one thing. We have Dr. Seth uh, Hutchinson. He is the head of the Institute of Robotics and Intelligent Machines, and he's been working on how to automate an entire store. Okay. And um, I mean, again, a very, very smart, smart person and also extremely uh, excited about kind of what we are doing here and wants to work with us. So there's him, there's the cybersecurity group, there is the blockchain group and so on and so forth that we are working with. So it's touching a lot of different areas. Retail is a, is very broad. So you need this kind of specialized knowledge and then you're helping kind of create bridges. So you're connecting people that maybe wouldn't have thought retail and then putting yeah, them all together. Absolutely. Yes, that's right. So now who'd you bring with you? I brought uh, Corbett Gillum. Corbett is a managing director with Silicon Road. Welcome, Corbett. Thank you. So now what's your take? How'd Sid do, first of all? I know you were oh, worried Sid, about him. Sid, Sid does, <laughs> is great all the time. <laughs> so where do you see the opportunities? Uh, it, what, what's interesting about retail I've worked with Sid for about two and a half years here at ATDC on the Industry Connect program and focusing on, on retail and, and launching pilots with 
retail, uh, we call them enterprises like, like Macy's mm-hmm. and, um, and Bell's and, and those types of, uh, retail establishments. And it's such a broad topic where, uh, and we have a lot of focus. And as Sid was saying, from the supply chain side to the customer engagement side to the e-commerce to uh, uh, customer engagement, uh, customization uh, experience. To elaborate a little bit more on what Sid was talking about with retail, we're seeing a big trend with even sports uh, franchises. So one of the groups we're working with, the Atlanta Braves, in the venue SunTrust Park, and they want to customize the experience for each consumer that's there or spectator that's there. They have the, the retail establishment. They have uh, the restaurants, the bars, but then inside the, the actual venue, uh, they want to create that experience where if it's your birthday, for example, and you're a season ticket holder, you get a, you get treatment. They know just from predictive analytics and uh, your profile that they have on file that you're a Dale Murphy fan, and they're able to, let's say, customize and, and give you a signed ball by, uh, by Dale Murphy. Mm-hmm. That creates that experience that's memorable. It's that surprise and delight. They're able to leverage technology to create those kind of memories. Correct. And we're seeing that not only within sports, but also in retail to create. Everybody wants that customized experience where they feel they want to feel special right exactly and that's what uh amazon does a great job at is uh predicting what you right if you like this you might like that exactly i mean that sounds simple but it's expected nowadays and then lowering the threshold of actually purchasing and making it easy to you know a one button press or you would say you you buy washing detergent from from amazon you got the button next to your uh, washing machine. Right. You can press it, and then it, it drop ships right to your home. So now what are the things that are keeping retailers up at night? Because it sounds like they're getting attacked from multiple uh, areas. I, I think some of the things that we've seen, one great example is uh, a large retail group that we've worked with. Uh, they have a big, big disconnect from their in-store to their e-commerce. So an example, you find a red dress on their e-commerce site. You go into the store, ask the associate. They're going to have no idea if that red dress is actually on the floor and uh, because there's 100,000 items on the floor. And more than likely, that associate's been there about two weeks because of the the 100% turnover rate. So there's a big disconnect there. And uh, and it's hard to create those memorable moments when the person just started two weeks ago. Right, right. So there's a breakdown in that. And I think for for traditional brick-and-mortar retail, starting there, that, that customer engagement piece, and then customizing the experience, and there's a bunch of different ways, but that's that's critical. That's actually happened to me. And – and a lot of others, but it's uh, it's apparent. But I've never really had that issue with an Amazon because I can always find what I need, and if I can't, it's recommended to me. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a real uh, easy way to to shop. And then as uh, Amazon is proving with 
actual brick and mortar, the purchase of Whole Foods, they're meshing the two together where there's that's creating an interesting uh, solution to it's not only online, but you're able to go in and experience it, uh, touch the, the fabrics or, or the produce and, and really go that route and then order it online or do a pickup with their locker system or, as we've talked about, their drone uh, delivery system that may be coming in the future. So now where do you see the opportunity? Like wh- when you're doing your work at Silicon Road, what are the things that you're um, trying to solve? Uh, really looking at it as a whole. We have lots of conversations about just trends, looking down the pipe three to five years where – uh, everything from third-party delivery services are going to uh, the, the whole supply chain, uh, automation, um, IoT. There's a lot of uh, conversation around IoT sensors around, um, you know, in uh, a big box retailer we're talking to uh, on their freezer systems, on how to monitor their uh, the meats, the frozen meats, and making sure it's at a consistent uh, temperature 24 hours around the clock. And uh, so that that's one thing. Uh, air filtration, uh, alternative energy is another one for running large uh, box stores. Uh, like I said, the customer engagement, but the physical Internet piece, there's so many different variables to that that we see great opportunity. Payments is another opportunity that we haven't even talked about today that uh, – there's a lot of opportunity within that, uh, being able to buy things, the, uh, the automated stores where you walk in, uh, get what you need, and it, uh, it dings your card, uh, those types of payment systems. So now, but it, it seems like there's kind of a front of the house, back of the house. There's a lot of challenges with supply chain. There's a lot of opportunities with supply chain. There's a lot of challenges with uh, the fintech elements of this. There's opportunities uh, customer experience, like how do these retailers, it's, it seems like so many different aspects of their business is changing so rapidly. How can they possibly embrace all of this and be good at it and, and, and move fast enough? These, some of these businesses are hundred year old businesses are used to doing business a certain way. How can they possibly stay on top of this stuff in order to make the most out of it? And survive. Yeah, I'll get that. Uh, it's innovation, and it has it is rapid innovation. Unfortunately, most of them really can't do it in house, and the reason that they can't do it in house is if you are like you said, a two hundred year company, two hundred year old company, and you have you know ten thousand people working for you, you have to have the bureaucratic processes in place, right? Which then, on the other hand, slows you down, right? right? So, well, I mean, that's where somebody like Silicon Road can be helpful, right? Because, you know, they have to rely heavily on the entrepreneurs, you know, the people with the five-person startups that can solve a specific problem for them at a relatively low risk in terms of kind of, you know, their investment, et cetera, et cetera. So that is the direction that we are taking them in. Now, is everybody coming along? No, I mean, some of them don't still see that as being the right route to go in. But I think more and more, I think that's the only way in which they'll survive. Because they can't wait for something fully baked to come across their desk, right? They have to be constantly trying different things, knowing that a good percentage of them aren't going to work out. It'll take but, them 10 years to get something very simple done. Right? Exactly, right. So they have to 
take these kind of risks and you're talking about an industry that is kind of risk averse in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's being smart about it, right? I mean, it doesn't need to be very risky for them. Uh, in fact, I would say that when they say, hey, you know what, we are going to allocate 50,000 square feet to build the store of the future, I think that's a bigger risk for them than to invest in 10 startups, if you ask me, right? Because mm-hmm. you with the 10 startups are able to really take advantage of the passion of 10 entrepreneurs and solve 10 big problems, which can actually be differentiators mm-hmm. for, you, for you now. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas if you're going to try to do it all yourself, it'll take you 20 years. And by that time, and, you and might you're be out dead. of business. You're out of business. <laughs> exactly. So um, it sounds like there's a tremendous opportunity and it, it sounds like you're looking for partners that are kind of forward thinking and that want to kind of lead the way rather than be followers. That's right. Exactly. And so that's what you need more of? More? We, we have a lot of interest in this already. Uh, everybody sees the value in something like this. Uh, we have been bringing in a lot of uh, these retailers here to ATDC and also to Silicon Road. We have had multiple conferences. And again, there's a lot of traction. Uh, you know, we, the signs are extremely positive. We have done the first close of our fund and we are ready to invest in the first few companies as well. We have a cohort of companies also in India, by the way. So that's the other piece of this where, where innovation is not geographically limited, right? So right. we are going to bring in startups and innovation from all over the world to uh, be a part of this program. So now if somebody wanted to get a hold of Silicon Road, what's the coordinates there? Uh, simple enough, siliconroad.vc or SID, S-I-D at siliconroad.vc and Corbett at siliconroad.vc. And then if somebody at ATDC or is thinking about uh, putting together a startup that's retail oriented, uh, can they connect with you through a- ATDC? They can do that or we are on the fourth floor of the Centergy building, Suite 450. So uh, so you're right here in the building. We are right here in the building. Yes. So uh, what's your favorite part about being part of the ATDC ecosystem? Oh, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful, very energetic ecosystem. Uh, you know, there's a lot of well-meaning people, uh, entrepreneurs who have been successful, who are here giving back. Uh, there is huge amount of energy with these startups. Uh, I did a company for 25 years and, you know, heads down in my office and I didn't, didn't know that this exciting world existed. Uh, it's just wonderful. I mean, the entire leadership here has also been very supportive of what we have done over the past two or three years and continues to be so. Well, Sid and Corbett, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you. Thank you. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio. 